Welcome to this episode of Sound Bites, a podcast series produced by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the nation's leading organization for individuals living with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. In each episode, someone who lives with psoriatic disease, a loved one, or an expert will share insights with you on living well. If you like what you hear today, please subscribe to our podcast and join us every month at SoundBites for more insights on understanding, managing, and thriving with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. My name is Corinne Pettit, and today we'll talk about oral health and psoriasis, something which is not often discussed. Joining me today are dermatologists Dr. Benjamin Kaffenberger and Dr. Jessica Kaffenberger, along with periodontist Dr. Purnima Kumar. Dr. Benjamin Kaffenberger is an associate professor of dermatology with the Division of Dermatology at Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, where he specializes in hospital dermatology and immune-mediated skin diseases. Dr. Jessica Kaffenberger, also a dermatologist at Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center, is an expert in treating chronic inflammatory skin diseases such as psoriasis. She is also the director of numerous clinical trials. Dr. Purnima Kumar is a periodontist and microbial ecologist who is a professor at Ohio State University. Her research is focused on how the human microbiome responds to certain systemic conditions and diseases, as well as human behaviors such as smoking and antibiotic use, and the effects on altering the microbial community on the skin and in the mouth. Together, along with a number of other colleagues at Ohio State University, they are investigating the impact of oral health symptoms, hygiene, and diet on the development and severity of psoriasis. Well, welcome Dr. Ben Kaffenberger, Dr. Jessica Kaffenberger, and Dr. Kumar. It's a pleasure to have you here on Soundbites today. So to start, and for all of you, I'm curious what first brought you to conducting research in psoriasis and oral health. As mentioned earlier, oral manifestations is a topic that is usually overlooked, and we don't see a lot of information about it. Thank you so much for having us. I, I think that a big part of us starting this work is, is an aspect of Ohio State where we have so many different specialists and, and so many different collaborators with different expertises to work. But ultimately, the, the biggest thing that brought this this project around were the patients with psoriasis. So the patients that were coming in and asking us why they have this severe or non-severe chronic skin disease, why they have this immunologic disease, asking why it's more severe and asking, is there anything they can do about it? Patients asking about diet, is there something they can do differently, eat differently, and will my psoriasis or other skin diseases, because this wasn't specific just to psoriasis, it was just the, the, where we got most of our patients from had psoriasis, but we really recruited everyone from our, from our clinics. So we get these questions a lot for any of our patients that have chronic skin diseases, but especially psoriasis. And it really came down to a couple different things that we wanted to look at. One was to try to look into the question of diets, diet preferences, and whether there is associations or whether there are associations that we could purse out to specific diets and an association with psoriasis severity or the development of psoriasis. A second aspect that we wanted to look at is also mouth and gum care, because one of the few strong associations that we do know with the development of psoriasis, or what I often tell patients, is that streptococcal, oral streptococcal infections have a very, very strong association with development of new psoriasis or incident psoriasis. So using that and knowing that there was an infection that started this process and where we wanted to get a little bit more information on, on mouth care, oral care, gum care, um, and an association. And I'll say a, a second aspect to that part of this is that also with my specialty being hospital dermatology, we tend to see patients who have lower socioeconomic classes, and, and it's not uncommon for the patients who are admitted with psoriasis. I've seen multiple patients who have an, an untreated tooth abscess or 
oral disease of some sort or the other with a recent strep flare or, or with a recent psoriasis flare, even if that type of psoriasis was not necessarily the gut tapes type of psoriasis that is most classically associated with strep infections. So that was the, the impetus was the patients. And then, you know, we wanted to harness having experts in many different fields. Do either of you have any perspective on that? I came at this from a completely different angle. I'm a periodontist and I'm a microbial ecologist. So in my clinical practice, I see a lot of patients who have gum disease, which is also known as periodontitis. And many of these patients also have other forms of autoimmune disease, either in the mouth or elsewhere in their body. And psoriasis is something that we see a lot of these patients suffering from. If you look at the studies, there's a very strong correlation between gum disease, periodontitis, and psoriasis incidence, the odds ratio are very, very high. And there's even a better evidence that if you treat gum disease, the incidence and severity of psoriasis gets lowered. And of course, so if you think of the space under your gum, especially when your gums are super inflamed, you have this, this huge group of bacteria that live there, and many of them are streptococci. Many of them have cell surface proteins that can mimic human proteins. And so they are the ideal targets to cause this autoimmune reaction. So there's a lot of biological basis for people to have both gum disease and psoriasis and for one to be interlinked with the other. My study, my research focus is in understanding how various systemic diseases can impact the oral health as well as how oral diseases can have distant consequences like you know affect places as distant as the skin or the pancreas or kidneys or or the eyelids of langerhans those places so how oral infections can impact other systems in your body is a big uh, research focus of mine and this fit right in so that's why i started studying it i think that was an excellent answer by both dr ben kaffenberger and dr kumar i think the important thing from my standpoint as well is i have a strong interest in psoriasis have a whole psoriasis clinic where i treat patients with skin diseases all too often we have to encourage patients with poor oral dental care that this is a very important piece in treating their psoriasis and a lot of times they discount that so i think it's just an incredible um, way to kind of bring this forth to the patients how important it is also that psoriasis is not just their skin. There's other things they can do, especially for oral diseases that a lot of times they overlook. That is so true. Thank you for being here today to help inform our listeners. So Dr. Ben Kaffenberger, you mentioned some of the known risk factors associated with the development of psoriasis. Are there any other known risk factors associated with the development of psoriasis? There's multiple major risk factors from genetic associations that are, that are well described in psoriasis, especially early onset psoriasis. So that's one aspect that an individual can't control. But areas that, that are environmental or, or potentially that, that there are some ability for individuals to control. Smoking is one of them. Obesity, heavier weights are another association. These are with incidents of nuance at psoriasis. But one of the strongest is actually infections of some sort, skin and oral infections, with the most classic being streptococcal infections and that strong association with the gut type of, of psoriasis. And Dr. Kumar, can you please explain what is the oral microbiome and why the correlation to psoriasis? It seems like inflammation, which you've all touched on, and lifestyle behaviors could play a role in this connection. When we say oral microbiome, we are looking at this huge community of organisms that live inside our mouths. As Dr. Kaffenberger uh, just told us, um, you know, people tend to discount the mouth and oral health. They think, oh, that's not important. 
let me think of something else. I have better things to spend my money on. But the mouth has a real estate that's as big as the palm of your hand. And that's how much space there is available for bacteria to live there. And if you counted up all the bacteria in the mouth, there are as many bacteria that live in your mouth as there are that live in your entire gut. When you think of, you know, having your stomach, your intestines, your rectum, all of these spaces, and you count up the bacteria and you count up the number of bacteria in your mouth, they are exactly the same number. So the mouth has the, one of the largest microbial communities in the human body. And that collection of bacteria and all the genes that they have is known as the oral microbiome. Now, when you have healthy gums, healthy teeth, you brush and floss, you do all the things that you're supposed to do, these bacteria play a very, very important role. They keep your mouth healthy. They keep the lining of your mouth healthy. They keep those cells intact. They're talking with your immune system and telling them who is a friend and who is an enemy and who needs to be attacked and who needs to be tolerated. So they're educating your immune system. They're providing this what's called a barrier function. That is, they're keeping the the lining of your mouth intact, they're doing these wonderful jobs. But in certain cases, this balance gets disrupted. You forget to brush your teeth for four days and, and this giant you know, biofilm of plaque accumulates in your mouth and suddenly the composition of the good friendly bacteria changes in your mouth or people start smoking or they do other things, You know, they may get diabetic. There are many, many factors that can change the dynamic between the bacteria and the host. When that dynamic changes, the bacterial community changes, but also more importantly, it causes inflammation in the host. So yes, there is this inflammatory pathway, but in the mouth, this is known as infection-mediated inflammation, which means the inflammation begins with a change in the bacteria. And because of that, you have this whole cascade of events that lead eventually to psoriasis. And there's a very strong evidence. As we talked about in the beginning, there's a very strong linkage between oral streptococci and the bacteria that are present and psoriasis incidence and the severity of psoriasis in patients with gum disease. That's pretty amazing and really good to be aware of. So Dr. Jessica Kaffenberger, if someone already has psoriasis, is it possible to develop psoriasis in the mouth or on the tongue? And if so, how does psoriasis present itself in those locations? Is it common to occur in the mouth? So great question. I think there are definitely oral findings that can be associated with psoriasis and frequently seen in psoriasis. Patients with psoriasis can a lot of get diffuse erythema of their mucosa during a flare. They could also get whitish gray plaques actually on their buccal mucosa is the most common location. And they a lot of times can get more pinpoint bleeding in their mouth, uh, which I'm sure Dr. Kumar has seen frequently for a lot of these patients. Of course, the vermilion border of the skin acts like keratinization, uh, so they get thicker plaques there, just like psoriasis on the rest of the skin. And then there's an increased prevalence, especially of some tongue findings, some interesting tongue findings. One is called benign migratory glossitis, also known as geographic tongue, that's highly associated with psoriasis, although can be associated with other conditions. And I think we'll talk more about that in a little bit. And there's also something called fissured tongue. Fissured tongue is also associated with psoriasis and a lot of times with a little bit of a later development of psoriasis. And so both of those tongue findings, although not pathognomonic for psoriasis by any means, can be seen more frequently in psoriatic patients. And Dr. Kumar, from your perspective, can you please address what is geographic tongue and how it's treated? So geographic tongue, as Dr. Kaffenberger just told us, is the scientific name for it is benign migratory glossitis. Glossitis means inflammation of the tongue. 
migratory because it moves from place to place and is seen in different places in different people. And benign, as the name suggests, is that this can be seen in multiple cases. It's not always indicative of disease. It's just seen. So basically what happens is this. Your tongue contains lots of little brush-like structures that make your tongue feel rough. And these are the taste buds. With benign migratory glossitis, what happens is that there is a destruction of these taste buds. And so that area becomes bald and the area around it still stays up. So you have this little pattern of a red bald patch that is surrounded by this white margin. And it happens in certain areas of the tongue. And some people have it for a period of time and then it vanishes and then it comes back again, but it never comes back with the same pattern. It comes back in a different place, in a different pattern of of this border. It looks different. So it's also known as erythema migrants. So there are all different kinds of names because it migrates, it's geographic. It looks like the world map drawn on your tongue. It moves from place to place. All of these things happen. It can be seen in any age. In fact, children can have this. And typically about one to two and a half percent to three percent of the population has it. So that can happen. And again, same thing with fissure tongue. Fissure tongue is this giant groove in your tongue. And sometimes that can look black because of certain specific type of bacteria that accumulate in this inside this fissure. And so that fissure starts looking really dark and looks really scary, but actually it is just a collection of absolutely benign commensal bacteria that just found a new home and are living there. So that's what it is. Typically, if we have to treat them, most patients with, with geographic tongue come to us with burning mouths, right? They, they're primary complaint is my tongue burns. And for these patients, we typically give them an anesthetic mouthwash. We give them a hydrating mouthwash or we give them topical anesthetics. And if it gets really, really uncomfortable, then we give them corticosteroid-like drugs or anti-inflammatory drugs. So this is the typical treatment. We really have not had the reason to give them anything more than that. And it, this is this is very basic. So it comes and it goes. And people always come to us while they are in the middle of having an episode of uh, um, geographic tongue. And then it settles down. The flare-up goes away. And we don't see them till the next flare-up. So it's treated symptomatically. So Dr. Jessica Kaffenberger, can psoriasis in the mouth be confused with other diseases such as thrush? So just as Dr. Kumar explained beautifully, absolutely it can be confused for thrush just because of the different colors that can be associated both with this benign migratory glossitis. When you start to lose those taste buds in the areas become smoother, some people think that is thrush. Some people think the discoloration on fissured tongue of sometimes it's blackish or discolored and they think that is thrush. Some people think these whitish patches that can be associated with the flare of the disease is thrush. And so I think it's just very important to have someone who has seen these conditions take a look in the mouth to be able to help just clinically make that differentiation. But also if there's any question, of course, you could do a PAS stain. You could always try something like clotrimazole lozenges. If it doesn't improve, it's most likely not thrush. And how do you treat psoriasis in the mouth? That seems like it could be very difficult to treat. So I would say I echo kind of what Dr. Kumar just stated for how she's treating geographic tongue. Usually psoriasis in the mouth is asymptomatic. So they don't usually have symptoms unless they have burning would be the most common symptom that people are going to have. And I think she kind of illustrated perfectly kind of this stepwise progression of potential treatments. Us in dermatology, I think, jump onto topical steroids a little more quickly than necessarily periodontitis. So a lot of times we'll use different oral spit and swish solutions. Sometimes we'll use different gels to put in the area. But I think she illustrated that very well, actually, for even the treatment of geographic tongue. I don't know if you have anything else to add, Dr. Kumar, with that. 
Um, not really. I, I, I mean, we. It's very benign. People come to us thinking it's cancer because it looks so scary. And I think the most important thing is just to explain to them that this is not cancer. It doesn't lead to cancer. And if they it's like cold, right? If they wait seven days, we can treat it. If they waited a week, it will go away, right? So that's really what we tell them. And Dr. Kaffenberger, what about psoriatic arthritis? It seems the inflammation associated with psoriatic arthritis could also affect the joints in the jaw. Is that true? So yes, yeah, psoriatic arthritis absolutely can affect that jaw bone, which is the temporomandibular joint of your jaw. It's very rare though, but you can imagine it's the same sort of thing of just encouraging patients to focus on their oral care. If you have a lot of pain in that joint of your jaw, you're going to be much less likely to engage in good oral care practices. You're not going to want to be opening your jaw. You're not going to be brushing your teeth. You don't want to sit at a dentist's office with your mouth open. So I think that difficulty with just movement of the jaw then ties into the, the inability of patients to maintain their oral care. So a question for all of you, if someone has psoriasis in the mouth and or periodontal disease, who should they see first? I don't think it matters who they see first, as long as, long as they see both specialists, right? I mean, I think periodontitis is this chronic condition that, that our patients are, are, unfortunately, sometimes we don't, we don't emphasize the importance of getting it treated as quickly as we should or, or stressing the importance of it. So I don't think it really matters who they, they see first, as long as they're seeing somebody and then the dermatologist can get the patient over to the dentist or, or the converse too, depending on the severity. I would just add to this, with psoriasis, you see what's going on, so it's visible, and patients usually come to you with a complaint of, oh, there's something wrong with my skin or my mouth. With gum disease, people come to me thinking, the big question I get is, I want Zoom whitening, and I have to sit this patient down and tell them, I'm sorry, your teeth are falling out of your head, they're so loose, you've lost all the bone around your teeth, and there's a problem. So gum disease is a silent, very silent disease. People don't know they have gum disease until many times I tell them or my hygienist tells them. So so it's highly likely that the treatment will begin with the dermatologist and then come to us unless a patient is coming with a symptom like geographic tongue or or, or fissured tongue, in which case we get to see them first. But just like Dr. Kaffenberger said, it is important that they see both. It doesn't matter who they see when, but they need to see both of us. And, and that's something we stress to them. You're not done with treatment. Go see the other, other half of this. So, so it is part of a team play, and they have to see both people and the team. That's a great message to share with our listeners. So now let's talk about the research you're conducting. So Dr. Benjamin Kaffenberger, could you please explain the overall purpose of your research, the impact of oral health symptoms, hygiene, and diet on the development and severity of psoriasis, and how that study was designed, such as how many people were involved, the process, what risk factors you considered? Yeah, absolutely. So this was, a, I'll say, a limited study. So this is a funded through the Ohio State College of Medicine, funded us to a first-year medical student. But other than that, this was without any additional funding. So it was a limited study as far as our numbers. But what we did is we looked out to find a, an already validated, knowing that we only had two months to do the study, an already validated questionnaire for oral health and oral health disease. Um, so we looked at the WHO to get that. Um, we contacted the World Health Organization for a survey that they use. They agreed to let us use it. Then what we needed to do is also look at known risk factors for psoriasis. Um, once we had this questionnaire of, of patients aspects that, that affect oral health. We, we wanted to add um, and control for known risk factors for psoriasis too. So we looked at family history of psoriasis, family history of other autoimmune disorders, weight, how long they've had psoriasis, general demographic questions. We looked at what treatments patients were taking if they had psoriasis. We supplemented the WHO questionnaire with 
questions that we thought our patients would be interested in. So we added, have you tried keto? Have you tried other diets? Have you tried to go gluten-free? To look at a number of different associations or potentially look at a number of different associations. The design was cross-sectional from the Ohio State University Dermatology Clinics. So we did not recruit patients directly out of the, the oral health clinics. All the patients were not known before or during whether they had any oral health symptoms until they, they completed the questionnaire. And we recruited patients without regard to their diagnosis for the most part as well, too, so we could have control of patients. But we did also recruit patients directly from our psoriasis, my wife's psoriasis clinic as well, too, to make sure that we had an adequate sample of patients with psoriasis for the purposes of the study. So over a two-month period, we had a, a fantastic medical student who interviewed numerous patients with psoriasis and, and with control skin diseases. The control skin diseases primarily tended to be acne, eczema, allergic contact dermatitis, and patients that were there for full skin exams. And that probably did skew the data just a little bit in terms of ages, especially having the acne patients in there. Our psoriasis patients tend to be just a little bit older. But so again, that was also agnostic to what patients were coming in when we were trying to recruit the control patients from, from our clinics. Once we had that, we completed 265 surveys just through our clinics. Once we had those surveys completed, we went through the data, made sure that the uh, answers, and, and this was an online survey. We went through the data, made sure that the answers were cleaned appropriately so we could analyze them. And then we performed regression analyses to try to control for multiple associations that could impact both the risk of psoriasis or the incidence of psoriasis, but then also the severity of the psoriasis as well too, which we got from our clinic notes using a validated score of the physician's global assessment multiplied by the body surface area, which we have in all of our psoriasis notes. Did study participants have to be on a specific treatment or be a certain age? Yeah, absolutely. So patients tended to be adults. We actually did have this study approved for children as well, too. However, since the, the vast majorities of our recruitment patients that come into our Ohio State clinics are adults, it was almost all adults who, who came in. It did not matter what treatments patients were on at all. It did not matter what their severity of psoriasis was either. We tried to get a good sampling of everyone. Were there any other stipulations for the study? No, really, really no. We didn't uh, incentivize the study. It was just patients that were interested in, in the research or potentially interested in the research. The survey took somewhere between five and 10 minutes. And so often that could be completed while they're waiting on, on being seen in the first place. So it was a, a pretty efficient process, but no other stipulations either. And Dr. Jessica Kaffenberger, within this study, what predictors triggered or made psoriasis worse? So the answer to that is actually similar to what Ben alluded to in the beginning of this podcast, is that family history of psoriasis did predict uh, making psoriasis worse. But most notably with the oral diseases, the history of strep throat was a predictor that psoriasis was going to be worsened. The oral pain or discomfort were predictors of psoriasis. And then poor gum disease, and again, that's that periodontitis, was a predictor predictor with the severity of psoriasis. So we did find that oral care had a huge impact actually on psoriasis as we expected. And since you mentioned periodontal disease, Dr. Kumar, what are some of the symptoms of periodontal disease, which is also known as gum disease? So symptoms. Patient notices that they have gum disease when one of two things happens: Either their gums bleed or their teeth are loose. So gum disease is a very chronic disease. It takes a long time to, to set in. It takes a long time before it can be diagnosed. And it comes in various forms. The earliest form of gum disease is known as gingivitis. So, so most of us know that as red gums or bleeding gums. 
And patients come to us with that symptom. They say, you know what, I was eating an apple and my gums were bleeding, or I was brushing my teeth and my gums are bleeding. What's going on? So that is one of the earliest signs of gum disease. And that's great because at that stage, if we catch it at that stage, it's very easy to treat and to prevent further instances of gum disease. So gingivitis is fantastic. We can treat it. And no, gingivitis cannot be treated with simply using a mouthwash. You really do need to see your hygienist and your dentist and get a very thorough professional cleaning before all mouthwashes and other things can work for you. So that is the first stage. And then if you left your gingivitis untreated or if someone had repeated instances of gingivitis over a period of time, the inflammation and the infection from the gums extends below, from, extends from the soft tissue to the bone that's actually holding the tooth and anchoring it in place. So once that, that inflammation and infection hit the bone, this process now becomes a disease known as periodontitis. And with periodont to diagnose periodontitis, your dentist usually takes an x-ray and that shows how far down the root the bone has, you know, crept down and so how much bone you have lost that should be actually supporting the root. Other thing that can happen is the patient can start noticing that there are gaps that start coming up between their teeth. They'll say, oh, I never had this gap between my teeth and now my teeth are feeling gappy or food is getting caught between my teeth. So these are classic symptoms that patients present with. And all of these are indicative of the underlying biologic process, which is bone that's supposed to be holding the tooth and you know, sitting all the way up to the neck of that tooth is being lost. And so the gum that is sitting on top of bone and sitting solid, which has a resting place on bone now doesn't have any bone support. And so the gum becomes this floppy bag that's loosely attached to the tooth and it's highly inflamed in the process. And so it kind of becomes this one-way bag into which you know things go in, bacteria start growing. It becomes this very anaerobic, very fermentative area And so it starts bleeding. Sometimes there's pus coming out of it. And all of these various things happen. And the last, the final stage of gum disease, periodontitis, is loose tooths. So some patients say, oh, my tooth is very loose. I feel that my tooth is shaking. Or if you didn't do anything over a period of time, the tooth can even be lost. Sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, I was just biting into an apple and my tooth fell out of my mouth. Well, that was a very silent process that had been going on for years and the patient was either not aware of it or had ignored it. And now it comes up to a point where it becomes, you know, a lost tooth. Wow, that's pretty serious. Shows how important it is to have regular dental checkups. So Dr. Benjamin Kaffenberger, what results can be drawn from this study to date? Sure. I I think there are some limitations that we should mention, and and that's the sample size. Again, it was overall a pretty small sample, 265 patients. We would need larger samples to, to really be much more certain. And the way that that plays out especially is when we have multiple different risk factors or multiple associations like we do and determining the relative importance of the different associations. We have a little bit less confidence with with those and we need to purse those out just a little bit more, but we need substantially more patients to, to do that. I mean, I think that the bottom line here is, is that the results and, and conclusions that patients should take away is, is no matter what, seeing a dentist is good for your health. If you have psoriasis, you're someone who's at risk for this, catching this as early as possible possible is, is a positive thing. There's an association in our paper about fresh fruits, more fresh fruits associated with less severity of psoriasis. There could be a, a not something else that's mediating that, and it may not be fresh fruits, and, but eating healthy is an important aspect of uh, for patients with psoriasis. Seeing a dentist is an important aspect for patients with psoriasis and patients that don't have it. And so I think that's those are the main con- conclusions that we would have from this. 
and Dr. Kumar and Dr. Jessica Kaffenberger. Do you have any additional final comments for our listeners? You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I think this is a message you've been hearing from both Dr. Jessica and Dr. Ben Kaffenberger and from myself is early detection, prevention. The earlier you can come see us. And the first sign that something is not right, it's time to see your doctor, right? It doesn't matter who you see. We can act as your traffic cops. We can send you to the right place, but come see one of us. Say, hey, this doesn't seem right. What's going on? And we can help you find out, figure this out. So come see us early as soon as you feel something is wrong. Don't wait until things you are absolutely certain that something is wrong. I completely agree. And I think, again, just the emphasis that they're all linked together. And I think some patients who are seeing a dermatologist are very focused on only their skin. And that's why we just wanted to make sure it's becoming more apparent to physicians as well as to patients how important it is that the mouth plays a big role in this. And finally, if someone wanted to become involved in this study, how would they do that? The study is actually still open, so it is online. We'd love to have more people fill it out. The There is a little bit of an issue with our institutional review board and the consent. So we have to email the consent to you in order for this to happen. I can't just send you to a website, but it's easy for us to do. We have this all ready and teed up. So we'd love to have more people participate in, in this survey. The email address is leah.coughmail at osumc.edu at L-E-A-H period K-O-F-M-E-H-L at O-S-U-M-C as an Ohio State University Medical Center dot edu. And then we can send you the electronic consent and, and the access form to the online survey. Well, thank you, Dr. Kaffenberger, Dr. Kumar, and Dr. Kaffenberger for your time and efforts to write a very interesting look at oral microbiome and psoriasis and how important it is to maintain oral health. I look forward to hearing how your research progresses. For our listeners, if you are in need of more information about psoriasis and other topics, contact the Foundation's Patient Navigation Center by calling 1-800-723-9166, option 1, or by email at education at psoriasis.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sound Bites for people with psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis. If you or someone you love has ever struggled with psoriatic disease, our hope is that through this series, you'll gain information to help you lead a healthier life and inspire you to look to the future. Please join us in a couple weeks for another inspiring podcast. You can find this or all future episodes of Sound Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and the National Psoriasis Foundation webpage. To learn more about this topic or others, please visit psoriasis.org or contact us with your questions or comments by email at podcast at psoriasis.org.